Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I've got a neat guest on here. I've been following him on the Twitter machine for a little while. And you can go there too. You can go to Oliver Flips on Twitter and you can find a lot of stuff that he he tweets and, and, and things like that. And we're going to talk about his business that he started last year that's really helped him and his family. But I wanted to really dive into his story and again, it's an honor to have with me today, Joseph Oliver on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, Joseph, what's good? How you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, man. I've been looking forward to this for a while because I've been following your content. Let's start here. And, and, and we'll, we'll kind of interweave because the last 18 to 20 months, you've had a radical shift in your family, in things that you've done. And, and those, of you, those of you that follow Joseph on Twitter... Well, he's talked a little bit about his story, and that's what really drew me to to have him on the podcast. And so, you know, take me through the last 18 to 20 months, some lessons that you've learned around, because, man, I, you know, here in West Virginia, where I live, the pandemic has hit us in different ways. I mean, we've got a state of 1.8 million people, and it's just been different for us here. And so I want to know what the last 18 to 20 months have been like for you and your family and maybe some lessons you've learned around that. Absolutely. Well, I am in the great state of Florida. So the past 18 to 20 months, I understand have been radically different than a lot of people in the world. And uh, I, I'm fortunate to, to be able to say that life hasn't changed much in terms of the state. Uh, lockdowns were very few, very limited. And so that was uh, offered me an opportunity when building my business that, you know, I could still freely move about. We could go ship packages. We could go to the store and, and buy things for retail arbitrage. But with the pandemic, because it wasn't the same in Florida as it was everywhere else, it did bring a lot of changes. And one of those was just the economic uncertainty around the first signs of the coronavirus in the United States and the first flatten the curve type lockdowns that occurred and the extension of those lockdowns. And that's really where my story begins in April, 2020, when I was laid off right at the beginning of the flatten the curve time and four kids to feed, married, mortgage, bills, the whole nine yards. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, you know, who gets laid off in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, I'm sure that a lot of people did but it's not like you can reference the the life manual of, you know, oh, what to do in case of a global pandemic and you get fired with a bunch of kids. Like, let me yeah. find that section in the <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, right. Experience. I mean, that that just that's just common knowledge, isn't it? You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, I mean, the main lessons I've learned now that I look back on the whole period are keep your optimism up and no matter how bad it gets, there's just nothing really beneficial about being down in the dumps. Uh, I'm actually, I love to think negatively, but only when it comes to problem solving. And 
you know, I like to think about, oh, what bad could happen in the future and then prepare for that, but not worry about it. So, you know, keeping an optimistic problem solving attitude is forefront. And when it comes to thinking negatively, one lesson I learned and a big mistake was putting all my eggs in one basket with my employer. I had a pretty demanding corporate nine to five job that I got laid off from and I gave a lot to my company. Uh, but it, when it was time to let me go, there was no severance. There was no warning. They had to yeah. do what was best for the company. And so even being my own boss now and having several successful sources of income, I mean, I would never go back to just one. Yeah. Let me, let me jump in there for, for a minute. I love what you said about thinking negatively about problem solving because people, people like there's, there are some people like to say, well, I, I, I fancy myself on being a problem solver, right? That's what I do is I'm being a problem solver. I love where you spin that about thinking negatively about problem solving. Take me a little deeper into that, Joseph, because here's where my mind's going around that thought is, is, the negativity that I see around problem solving is I want to flush out every negative scenario and run that through my mind so that I can find the ways to either vet that out or poke holes in it or blast holes in that thinking. Where do you go to the negativity of problem solving? I want you to expand a little bit deeper on that because that is a really cool thought that, that you just that you just brought out there. Yeah, well... I mean, it just, it, it's probably what everybody normally does of thinking of the worst thing that could happen, but more so, so that I can just make wise decisions. And I guess a really practical example would be I'm driving in the car, it's heavy traffic. And let's say there's, you know, you can never really predict what people are going to do. I, you know, you try and watch and pay attention, but uh, let's say I'm sandwiched in between two cars that are kind of like maybe front right and front left. Yeah. And I think, what if, what if this person merged over into my lane right now? Cause they didn't see me. Am I in a blind spot? Well, I want to know in my blind spot that I can jerk and swerve quickly to the right. Should that happen? Or if there's somebody in my blind spot or to my right, do I just need to apply brakes? So I've gotten in this habit. I mean, that's a, it seems or like if you're in really West Virginia, you just dodge the deer that, well, yeah, you know, what exactly. you're talking about is, is us deer dodging and, and, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that scenario and, and and I've been in that scenario before where literally a deer has run out in front of my car and, and you just kind of go, oh man, what do I do here? You literally have, and I've hit a deer and you I've were dodged a deer in the headlights. Deer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a hundred percent right. Well, no, where, where I live, we are in prime season for that to happen. And and it's mm. funny because I was driving on the interstate this morning and I saw a couple of dead deer on the interstate. I mean, it where we live, you have to be aware of that because that's a this time of year, that's a very real possibility. And I mean to, to interrupt you there, but you're hitting again, I love where you're taking our conversation. Let's talk for a minute about blind spots. When you think about April of 2020, and you were talking about, hey, I put all my eggs in into my employer's basket. My employer didn't didn't think a thing, and I've been there. They didn't think a thing about cutting me loose. Was that the blind spot that was that was revealed to you in that moment? 
And how did you go about turning that blind spot into the opportunities that you that you have in your business right now? That's a great question. I think the blind spot wasn't necessarily being devoted to my employer. I'm certainly not anti nine to five. I believe in doing a good job. The blind spot was more of, I never thought, I, I mean, I'm a, a student of, um, wow, I'm actually drawing a blank, but he wrote Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss. And he talks about black swans. He started a company called Black Swan Group. And a black swan, for those unfamiliar with the term, people thought there was only white swans in the world until yeah. the day they discovered the black swan. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, there is a black swan. And uh, Nicholas Nassim Talib talks about the, the black swan being the turkey who gets fed every single day and thinks that tomorrow is going to be his big meal, but it's actually the day before Thanksgiving. So yeah. the black swan event is he's not going to get a meal. He's going to be the meal. And so my, uh, my blind spot and, and how I've turned that into my, you know, a habit now of kind of problem solving in the future is, is kind of the opposite of blue sky thinking. So blue sky thinking, some people might daydream, oh, I want to have a mansion and I want to have a Ferrari or I want to have a big business or I want to have a happy family. But nobody ever gray sky dreams about, well, what's the day when this unspeakable tragedy happens to my family? How do I re react? Where do I fall on? What do I do? Uh, what happens if the deer comes across my path? And, and none of that is to say dwell on negative things and yeah. just be down in the dumps. But I'm emotionless when I think about bad things that could happen because really I'm just maybe rehearsing it once in my mind or twice so that I've thought about it. And so now I might take practical steps like what would happen if my Amazon account got shut down tomorrow? That's a main source of income for me. Yeah. Do I have another Amazon account? Do I have another place where I can sell? Do I have other places where, where I can, can sell? Where can you pivot? You know, how do yeah. you pivot and, and exactly. things like that? No, and and you you're you're you made me think of the the black swan. My friend Tom Ziegler talked about that mm -hmm. on an interview that we did. The, the the black swan effect is is in full in full force. And I love what you said about nobody thinks about gray sky moments. You're exactly right because the times I have been let go on my job, it, it, it hit me sideways. Now, it, it, it hit me, you know, and, and it's happened to me. And it's happened to me somewhat recently. I thought about it differently because I'd been through it before. Like, I, I, like I was just like, okay, mm, yeah. well, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of go this way, make some phone calls, do this and do that. And and I think Joseph, you you the the encouragement there for some people is, it's gonna work out, and that's what I didn't realize in two thousand and nine. The first time it happened to me was, it's gonna work out. My first thought was, oh crap, you know we we you know what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get through it? And I think people have those moments where and and I don't, they have those moments where it's like, oh man, like. What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? How is my family going to get through this? You mentioned it's like, oh man, I've got kids to feed. I mean, my, my son was nine the first time we went through it. It's like, okay, well, how do we tell him we can't do this and we can't do that? Because we're kind of reining things in and tightening things up. When you think about that gray sky moment for you, 
take me through your first thoughts. Were you were you kind of feeling the panic or were you like, okay, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe God's trying to shift me in a different direction. If you don't care, take me through that gray sky moment for you and your family. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was a gut punch. Nothing, even if you're prepared, it doesn't make the gut punch go away. What the gray sky moment does, or I mean, when if if your gray sky moment becomes reality, is what I'll say. Yeah. Then it it's not the reason that you rehearse it beforehand and that you have a backup plan is so instead of being paralyzed and thinking, I don't know what I'm gonna do and freaking out, you just begin to take positive action. So for me, I uh, I had been through this before in different scenarios. And I just thought, I mean, obviously not in the middle of like a lockdown, but I'm thinking, okay, well, the first thing I'll do is I'll call the most valuable industry contacts I know, let them know, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for another opportunity. Uh, I've just been released from my position, but, um, you know, is it okay if I send over a resume Yeah, and I set a systematic schedule of farming and applying for job openings in different industries. I got really creative. I ended up applying for 130 jobs before I gave up and decided I need to take my income into my own hands. But the primary factor was immediate action because action will replace the apathy that you want to feel. Everybody, I mean, I could have like put on my pajamas and watch Netflix and just started eating junk food and slipped into a mire of defeat. But the action, the actions that you subconsciously agreed that you would take, should this ever happen, you just immediately say, okay, that's the first thing I have to do. And that gives your brain and your emotions time to process the fact that it happened. You go through your like stages of grief and you're like, oh, I'm going to be so stupid. And uh, you know, you're, you're maybe down on yourself and you're like, okay, it's going to be okay. And as you're taking action, you'll begin, I mean, people are creative, whether you think you are or not, you'll start to come up with new ideas and say, oh, maybe I could do this, or maybe I could do that. But if you slip into this, this state of inaction where you just want to feel sorry for yourself, yeah. then that's what will keep you from coming up with those new ideas. Cause the depression will literally depress your any kind of creative thoughts that you could have yeah that sounds good let's take a quick break and we come back that's a great way to transition into what you're doing now and so i want you to explain to folks what you're doing now you mentioned it a, a couple of minutes ago um but we're going to give people a little peek behind the curtain of retail arbitrage and, and 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 that's the industry you ended up in the business you ended up in my guest is joseph oliver He's joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back. We've got some riveting conversation coming up for you here in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines, 
in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Joseph, I, I want to take people through what you're doing now in the business that you you started. So you mentioned April, before we went to the break, you mentioned April of 2020 was that moment. How did you land in the business that you're in that, that you've done very successfully, I might add, for the last year, 18 months or so? How, how did you land there instead of, because you mentioned you sent out 120, 130 resumes to different companies before deciding to pivot and go the other way. So how did that pivot actually occur? Yeah, well, I... I sent out 130 job resumes. I maybe had two or three interviews, zero offers. And the industry that I was previously in was the automotive industry. Well, there was a lot of uncertainty in the automotive industry because people were at their house. They weren't driving. There's problems in China. I mean, I was in the sensor manufacturing industry and everything, all hiring basically froze. And I tried other industries and it was really hard to make a lateral move because people just don't like uncertainty. Yeah. Well, when I didn't get a severance, when I got fired, I had, but I had a small savings account, uh, for, I guess when you consider I'm not going to work and I've got a family to support, I had about nine or $10,000, which is small when you think about it, like, it's going to be gone in two months or three months. So as I was applying for jobs and I just see my savings whittling away. And I think when it's gone, what am I going to do? Live on credit cards? I can't do that. And, you know, that's just going to create this huge hole that I don't want to dig out of one day when all this turns around, which could be who knows how long. So yeah. I said, okay, I've got some money left. I've got to do something. And I was already on Twitter. I was already lurking on some of the popular Twitter money type accounts, Chris Johnson. Uh, the first thing that I did was I took a little bit of the money, which felt like a lot at the time. I, maybe it was 40 or 50 bucks, but I bought a phone flipping course by somebody that's in Chris Johnson's circle. It was the phone flipping Academy. And I thought, okay, well, they're going to teach me how to buy and flip cell phones locally. And it was, it was pretty good. I mean, I might make you know, a hundred or 200 bucks a flip, but yeah. in the panhandle of Florida, it's not a metro area. There's not a ton of people. It's all spread out. And the few hundred dollars I was making a week, it just wasn't cutting it. And I you, thought, you may, I got to jump in here. Yeah, you, sure. you mentioned the 40 or 50 bucks and, and, and I'm putting myself in that moment because when you're out of work, 40 or 50 bucks feels like four or 5,000 bucks. I mean, it feels like a ton of money. And I can remember, I can remember here about, about five or six years ago, I was out of work for an extended period of time. My wife's granddad was still alive. 
He was 95 at the time. And I would have to take him to the grocery store. That was something that I could, once a week, I would take him to the grocery store. And there were times, Joseph, he slipped me 20 bucks. And I was like, that made me feel like I had some money. He And he told me, he said, I know you're not working right now. You need to have some money in your pocket. And, and, and what he did for my self-esteem was, hey, man, you got some a little bit of cash. I felt like if I wanted to buy a, a, a bottle of water and a bag of chips, I could do that because I had a little bit of money in my pocket. Did it feel like for you that 40 or 50 bucks, how important was it for you to make that investment in yourself at that time? Because I've been there and, and, and you almost feel like, okay, man, it's either... I take this 40 or 50 bucks and I buy groceries or I make this investment. Was there, was there that hesitation or did you just go all in and go, Hey, I've got to do something. We're at that point where, yeah, it's 40 or 50 bucks, but I've got to do something to change this situation. Well, the good thing about having your back against the wall is there's nowhere to go. So when I had that, I mean, it hurt because Again, it's hard to describe the mindset shift, mindset shift because now I'll spend thousands a week on inventory and not even think about it. I've emotionally detached myself from money. But then it was, it was like there's zero coming in and there's money going out and I'm going to spend $40 on a PDF on how to flip phones. It was really hard. I, I mean, it was painful. There's no way about it. But I just thought the money's going to run out anyway. and this 40 or $50, other people are having success at it. If I can't, it's my problem. And I'll just figure something out. And I mean, that's exactly what happened. So I guess check one for, for, uh, figuring it out as you go. But yeah. you know, when I, when I thought to myself, okay, I'm net positive. I've made money flipping phones, but it's not enough. I need more. I need faster turnover. Uh, like I need more phones or if I can't find more phones, I need something else. And that's when my winding path brought me across Joe Hart and PFP. And again, so I bought Joe Hart's art of flipping course, which was a nominal, you know, maybe 20 bucks. But then when it came to joining his group PFP, that's 50 bucks a month. So then there's another mental block there. And I remember hesitating maybe for a day. And I thought, am I really going to spend a $50 a month at a $50 a month cost? Uh, but again, I thought, well, these people, they're, they're buying from Walmart and Target. They're selling, they're making profit. This is, if I do that at volume, this could be, this could be really big. This could be a good opportunity. And I've already been in a business in the automotive industry. I own my own automotive company. It was a multi-million dollar company. I started it from zero. I started from scratch. And it looked like the same thing to me. All I'm doing is accumulating inventory, getting orders, bringing in cash flow, getting more inventory so I can get more orders. And I thought these are the same business, but instead of buying from China and having sensors air freighted over here and selling them to wholesalers, I'm buying from Walmart and I'm selling it on eBay to in consumers. And I, it's, it was the same cycle. I saw it in my mind. It just is an identical picture. And they say the rest is history. You know, I mean, I, I applied my exact business model that already worked in the automotive company to flipping. And, uh, in 12 months I did around 350,000 in sales and now is, well, that's just on Amazon. So I've done almost a half a million in total 
but uh, yeah, this is when it gets fun because this is when new challenges and new scale starts to become a reality. And you mentioned Joe Hart. We've had, I had Joe on the intentional courage podcast. You can go back and listen to that episode with Joe, um, his lifelong friend, Justin Martin. We had an episode with Justin and you know, what I remember most about what Joe told me, and it's exactly the same thing, Joseph, that you're, that you're saying it's, it's the, you mentioned the good thing about having your back against the wall. And Joe was in that same situation. Joe's back was against the wall. He had a, a situation where he had an employer that said, hey, it's just not working out. And he's like, what am I going to do? And, and I want you to speak to those people out there because maybe it's a small business owner that has put their life savings into something and, and the pandemic is crushing it for some reason. Or... It's somebody out there that goes, man, I, I've got a job that I really don't like. I feel like my back's against the wall. What would you say to that person that that's kind of silently as we're having this conversation saying, man, Joseph, I feel like my back's against the wall. Well, let me maybe make an analogy. When the stock market crashes, there are people that make millions. And when the stock market goes up, there are people that make millions every single day. So what that tells me about, I mean, I think this is true for life. I think it's very true in America, uh, which is a great, uh, great country filled with opportunity. When times are bad, there are ways out. And when times are good, there are ways out. Uh, it's not, I think the problem more often lies in our thinking than it does in our circumstances. Um, you know, when, when the economy, so take the auto parts business that I was in. When the economy is bad, people are not buying new cars as much and they're fixing their old cars, which means they need to buy more old car parts. Yep. And then when the economy's good, people are you know, selling their used cars to buy new cars and the people that buy the used cars need to buy auto parts to replace the the parts that are bad. So, yeah, and, and let me jump in there. I know that business because I used to sell starters and alternators and component parts to rebuilders who years ago, instead of going to people would go, instead of going to Napa and things like that, they would go to the local rebuilder in town and get their starter rebuilt or they get the alternator mm -hmm. rebuilt things like that. And we did it not on, you know, we, we, the company that, that my dad and I worked for, we did new and you and, and rebuilt parts. So oh, we, sure, we yeah. would do both. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we would get the, we would get the, the small motor starters from, from China and things like that. We did, and we did motorcycle starters. We did all, all kinds of stuff. So I know that business. And, and here's where I'm going with that. We've got a guy two miles up the road from us that rebuilds wrecked automobiles and we bought two v we bought two cars from him he, he sells quality stuff but right now man he is killing it because nobody wants to go to a car lot and not, nothing against car dealers out there but people are are finding alternative ways to buy vehicles and so the guy that we know up the road from us it's just, he, he is busier than he can handle because people are finding alternative ways to do things. When you started looking at the alternative ways that you could make money, 
did it surprise you when when you, when you got deeper into Joe's groups and things like that and the resources that he has? Did it surprise you? Because you said a moment ago, it's like, hey, I've done this once before. Th this feels a lot like what I did before. Did you feel excited? How, how did you feel when you got in touch with Joe, got some of his resources, and you started digging deeper into, into retail arbitrage? Oh, it was just time to get to work. I said, hey, okay, found it. Time to put my nose to the grindstone. And just, I mean, business at its core is very simple. Amazon was built on the things that people always want, low prices, fast shipping. And the more customers that are satisfied with fast shipping, the more will buy from Amazon, the lower they can make their prices, the more they'll buy from Amazon. It's what uh, is sometimes referred to as a flywheel. And I found a flywheel. Find a profitable item at Walmart, go to seven Walmarts, buy all of them, sell them online, repeat. Let's talk, so, Joseph. Let's talk about that for a minute, man. So now you're now you're getting into my 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 old wheelhouse with the with the flywheel, and you know that you know the automo you know the automobile industry. So you, you kind of know where I'm going here. You know, it used to be when, and, and I mentioned this in my book, People Buy from People. It used to be that when a starter engaged with the flywheel, it was a smashing thing, especially in heavy trucks. It was just a constant pounding, and the flywheel just took a lot of pounding because that was the way the starter was designed. It was designed just to crash into the flywheel and wherever the teeth landed to engage, that's what happened. And then in, in, in the heavy truck industry that I came from, we had something called soft start where that, where that starter drive and the teeth of it would slip into engagement and, and it wouldn't tear up the flywheel and things like that. When you think about the flywheel in your business in, in, in retail arbitrage, how important is it for, and, and let's say folks are, are out there and they're going, man, this, I've heard about this, I, but, I, but I'm not really sure how it works. Is it more of slipping into engagement in the flywheel or, or do you just have to kind of bang into it and, and take your chances? I hope, you know, I hope I'm asking that question, right? Cause you said flywheel and I'm just having flashbacks to my days selling starters and alternators and talking and doing technical demonstrations about the starter and the flywheel. Am I hitting that concept correctly? Tell me, tell folks how that flywheel, how you look at the flywheel of business around retail arbitrage. Well, I think the truth is it can be either one. I had to smash into it because I had all my regular bills to pay very little startup capital, and I had to somehow be able to keep the business going while also paying my bills and not creating any kind of unreasonable debt scenario. So, I mean, for me, it was zero to 200 and no other options because, you know, once the cash flow is going, then you can explore other things. But the flywheel, you know, it runs your economic engine. And yeah. That is that we live in a world where money is the currency and money is a store of value. Even in our economic times, people still use money and that's how you pay the electric bill. That's how you buy food. So for anyone with a nine to five who, you know, it's reasonable to devote a few hours a week to slipping into it. Amazon 
Uh, I was challenged actually just yesterday with thinking, okay, what are the limits to arbitrage? Because I know guys that are doing really well that are kind of topped out at 70, 80, 90 K a month. And uh, somebody really challenged me and we've had a lot of conversations since then. He's going to hit 10 million this year in sales on Amazon, only doing arbitrage. And he's only about two years in. And so, uh, you know, it, it reminded me that business is simple. You just, if you want to grow bigger, you figure out ways to do the simple things more. So you hire people, you outsource your labor, you outsource the things that are constrained by time to other people at a cheaper cost than what you can get back. But I, I kind of digress and went off on a tangent. If you're someone who's comfortable, but you want to diversify your income, you want to own your income, maybe you want to be an, a business owner one day, you slip in, you learn the nuances. Uh, because even though business is simple, there's a lot of details that surround it. You just can't get caught up in those. In, in its core, it's really simple. You buy something and you sell it for more and you keep the profits and you make sure your expenses are covered and that there's, there's a net profit that makes it worth your time. And really, once you start exploring the different ways that people are out there making money, it changes your mind forever. And you really, there's no going back from that. Going to work, I'm not anti nine to five. I loved most of my nine to fives, uh, despite the fact that it never really worked out. And a lot of people do, but it's a different world. It's not 1950s and, you know, put on your suit and then put on your coveralls and work for the same company for 40 years. Obviously, things are happening that nobody can predict. And I would say everyone should have a little hustle that brings in a little extra income that could be scaled if your gray sky comes true. Man, that is so good. I, I got to ask you one more question and we'll take another break and get into your story. If you could jump back to April of 2020, it's November, 2021 that we're at now. So literally nine, uh, 19 months. If you could go back and you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with you in April of 2020. What's the one thing you'd tell yourself? Hmm. Take losses faster. <laughs> wow. It, it expound on that a little bit, it, you know, because I, I think that's a great, that's really profound, Joseph, because I, you know, I don't know that people, you know, we don't like losing. You know, people, you know, you, you root for a sports team. I used to do this, and, and I promise you, we'll get to a break, but but I want to go here for just a minute and, and just pull a little more conversation there. I'm a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. You know, I, I'm used to losing, okay? I mean, we've been, you know, my team's been terrible for 30 years. They haven't run a playoff game in 30 years. I used to take losses really hard. And one day, man, I just had a light bulb moment like, wait a minute, I didn't sweat and bleed and get hit for three hours. I sat in front of my TV and watched my team do it. Like, why am I so tore up about it? Why why am I getting torqued about it? Or I went, you know, I went to Marshall. I went to Marshall University. Why why would why why am I getting ticked off because they lost? I didn't lift any weights this week. I didn't run. I didn't sit and watch film. Why am I getting ticked off about it? And, and you talked about take losses faster. Let me let me see if I understand what you're saying. 
do you feel like that that you kind of saw when when those losses hit did they hit you hard and it was hard to recover when you had those times of difficulty or or would you say it would have ramped up your process of getting to where you are now faster i, I want you to, to to extrapolate a little more conversation out of that well this is uh it's it's a principle that i find is true in literally every facet of life people you buy the running shoes you keep them in the closet you never run you can't throw them away because it becomes a sunk cost and you're like oh if i throw them away i've given up but you're never going to go run and it's uh maybe that's not the best example but if you know you're you're trading options in the market people say oh i've lost half I should hold on to it and hope it comes back or I should double down. No, I mean, most of the time you should probably just take the loss and get half your money back. And or sell it, those shoes to Joseph and he'll turn around and resell them to someone flip, else. <laughs> flip the shoes, get some money back. Um, I mean, when when in arbitrage, not every single product is going to be a profitable winner. Yeah. Some are going to lose, some are going to break even. And just again, as is true in every area of life, people stay in terrible relationships or they ignore warning signs because they've invested something and it makes you when you get your emotions wrapped up in that you really lose the logic i mean today um i try and be a good steward over my money but i'm completely emotionless about it if if i have to spend money on it if the if i need a tire if i need to get more new tires i i feel zero pain paying for new tires if i have to hire somebody or buy inventory or if i put you know, a, a nice amount of money in savings or in investments. And I think, oh, well, you know, I, I made a bunch of money today. Zero emotion. I don't really celebrate it. I celebrate my successes that mean I'm growing as a person. And I set, celebrate sales as a metric of how well my business is doing and profitability. But um, losing money, winning money, it, I just, it's just a tool. Like, do I feel any emotion about it? It's very little. So, and that's obviously translated to other areas of my life. If something, I mean, just today I committed to a project a few last week and I said, Hey, um, I'm going to do this project. There was a payment agreement and, um, you know, I, I made a commitment. I said I could do it. I dove deep into it. I thought, Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I still tried, I completed some work and then I realized that the scope of the project wasn't what I initially expected yeah. and I made a bad judgment call. And as soon as I knew this, I called the person, I said, Hey, obviously I didn't take any payment. I said, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm gonna have to back out of this project. I'll try and find somebody that can do it instead. I think I've got someone. And, but there was this linger. I mean, I, at night I said, uh, this was just last night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit the project. I can't do it. I don't have the mental bandwidth. Uh, it's not what I thought it would be. I can't do it. And then the next morning, it's like, well, maybe, you know, I've got more energy, right? It's the morning. Yeah. Um, I'm not worn down by the day. I said, well, maybe I could do it. And I did make a commitment. And I ended up having this conversation with myself where I said, no, you can't do as good a job as you thought. It wouldn't be a good performance, which is not fair to the person who brought you on. And you just need to quit it right now so you can get back to doing the things that you do well. Yeah. So if something's not working, I mean, I would say the exceptions are things like your life, your marriage, you know, your kids, the obvious stuff. 
but um, you know, if the way you communicate with your spouse or the way, or your lifestyle choices, if something's not working, cut it off and, and, and figure out how to do it better, you know, start doing something else. Yeah. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into Joseph's story. And I want him to take us back as far back as he can. We've just, this has been really good conversation. I hope you're enjoying it. My guest, Joseph Oliver, joining me on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, Joseph, let's dive deep into your story now. Let's just go and, and again, take me as far back as you want to take me through some lessons that you've had in life, some, some things you've overcome and some lessons you've learned from it. I just want to give you the floor for a few minutes to let folks kind of see, they see the guy they see on Twitter, but I want them to see the backstory behind your life and, and your work and things that you've done. Okay. The floor is yours, my man. <laughs> oh man, you said uh, to take you back. Uh, yeah. Wow. I, I saw where, some where reflective thought there, man. I, I was so, yeah. I mean, it, it, did I, did I just ask you a loaded question? Well, there's a lot of history behind everyone's eyes. I mean, you could, uh, I, I hate to ask for some direction, but I mean, there's, there's a lot I could say about my personal experience or lessons I've learned. Is there anything in particular, um, you know, how far back do you want to go? I don't, I don't know I have, if I have anything valuable pre to, you know, like 17, 18 years old, I, that, you know. No, you're, you're good, man. So we, I want to ask you about a couple of defining moments. Let, let, sure. Let's put some clarity around that. Maybe a couple of defining moments. And, 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 and here's where I'm going with that. I had someone on my podcast that talked about in their situation, how they, they had a, an, an abuse at, at 12 or 13. And it just kind of set them in, in motion for about the next 20 years or so. And again, I, you know, I don't want to get deeply personal unless you want to go there. But take me through a couple of defining moments in your life and some lessons you learned from it. Sure. Well, here's the thing about me. I had a really great childhood. And in a way, I'm very blessed 
I was not abused. I was always comfortable. My dad had like a high middle-class government job and they always chose the, I mean, we weren't wealthy, but we always chose nice suburbs and good schools, good public schools, um, which in my opinion, you know, public school was kind of my downfall because with my comfortable childhood came, uh, I mean, I'm curious. I've always been curious. I've always been um, what's the right word? Not ambitious, egregious, maybe, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm outgoing and I'm curious and I was, I was a troublemaker. I was a rebellious little troublemaker. So as soon well, you're as you're disrupting I, the ar you're, you're, you're disrupting the arbitrage business now. So that, that kind of makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah. Well, I disrupted a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have disrupted. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I skateboarded, I was like a little vandal, probably petty thief, uh, you know, things that maybe I've blocked out. And I remember it's when I, I was in sixth grade, this is kind of going back. And I just started running with a group of people that lived like they were just hooligans. And so I became a hooligan. I mean, I was a pretty nice kid up until then. I didn't really look for trouble. My trouble was of the curious accidental nature. And I, you know, I got in with the wrong crowd and this kind of progressed. Like I just started looking for trouble into high school and eventually it landed me in a spot that I really am ashamed to admit, admit that I was in. I mean, like doing drugs, selling drugs, committing major crimes, uh, felonies. Uh, you know, I've never done anything that was terribly uh, regretful. You know, I've never like harmed anybody physically or anything like that. But I mean, I was, what was I going to do with my life? 18, um, you know, recreational drug user, probably hooked on some, some more stuff than that. And then I'll tell you, I, I don't know that I've ever even shared this publicly, but uh, I'll do it today. I call it, it was like my it, Hope Road experience. So I had, I had done some kind of mixture of drugs that was unknown to me. It, it wasn't anything really crazy, but um, I started to have some kind of physical reaction to that and I, long story short, I was driving in my car. I was having this reaction. I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, I, I remember the moment when I thought I was like, I couldn't breathe. I was taking my last breaths. And, uh, as somebody who was raised in a, like a conservative Christian household, my, my thought, my literal, I'm, I'm driving down the road. I'm remembering thinking I can't breathe. I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to hell because I've just lived this wayward, terrible life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, the good news is I didn't die. But uh, after that, I really took some time to think about what am I doing and what's important in life. And that led me to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I became what you would call a born-again Christian, where I trusted not in the fact that I was a good person, because uh, I don't believe anybody really is. We're all uh, sinful people, but that, um, that Jesus's goodness would, can save me, can save yeah. anybody who yeah. willingly trusts in that. And so that was, I mean, that's the most pivotal moment in my entire life that, you know, I, I mean, if I was like reformed, if you will, um, I, I never touched drugs again. I, I, I never 
like knowingly committed a crime. I mean, I maybe rolled through a stop sign or something. I don't know, but uh, I wasn't, I was no longer a troublemaker. I was just somebody who was going to live life and, and do whatever I was supposed to do. And um, that involved a, a really interesting and adventurous life where I played music professionally in beach clubs all across the Florida coast. And I ended up going up to Seattle and creating kind of a new market in uh, emerging like wine bars where I would play, uh, you know, more like soft rock type, soft rock type music on my mm -hmm. acoustic guitar and sing. And, uh, and I worked for Google actually programming their maps. Uh, I, I worked on a contract team that designed Google maps. And so I lived this adventurous life and, uh, and I ended up returning to the Florida panhandle where I am now. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I was too far away from my family all the way up in Seattle. And I came back home. I was in a coffee shop one day that I liked to frequent, get an espresso. And this young lady walked in and, you know, something like 10, 11 months later, we were married, started having a bunch of kids and, and, you know, the story picks up where I start going through this kind of searching for what I'm supposed to be doing as a vocation. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of where we were just a couple segments ago. So I think Man, I've taken you full so circle. Cool. Well, and, and you know, Joseph, what I was thinking as you were talking about that, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I imagine as you were talking, I imagine two things, one being the parent of a 21 year old son and thinking to myself, if that were my son and I got that phone call that something bad had happened, it would, it would just rock my world. But then thinking about myself as a teenager and growing up in a Christian home and thinking to myself, you know, what if that were me? What if I had, had gotten messed up? in things I shouldn't have gotten messed up in and thinking, and I can, I can sense in that moment, I could see you going, Oh man, is this it? Is this the way it ends for me prematurely and how good God is and how good, how he could see so far down the road and says, no, Joseph, this isn't it for you. You know, I'm going to step in and I'm going to, I'm going to change you and make this right. Now you're a parent. Do you find yourself thinking, do you find yourself really getting in that protect mode and going, I've got to tell my kid, you know, avoid this. Don't do this. You know, all four of your kids and I, how, you know, and you're, you know, your kids are probably, you probably have one that's a teenager, I'm sure with kind of doing the math in my head here, but my oldest is eight. Your oldest is eight. Forget that. You're going to have teenagers <laughs> soon enough. This is why I have gray in my beard because I've been through those high school right. years and I'm, I'm into the college years. I've got to ask you this. If you could go back, I asked you if you could go back a year ago. But, but if you could go back to however long that was and you saw teenage Joseph in a coffee shop or you saw him wherever, what do you think you would say to him if you could interact with that young man and just spend five minutes talking to him 
at that point in time in your life? Uh, I mean, if, if I were really put in that situation, the only thing that I can really think of would be just begging him to come to Christ sooner. Cause I, there's no other advice that supersedes that. I mean, well, it's not advice. I mean, it's, you know, there, there's nothing. You would else. have witnessed to him. That's, you would have shared I mean, the gospel with him. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause nothing else, it, not like stop doing drugs. Well, okay. I mean, <laughs> or, you know, stop committing petty theft. It's what would that have even That meant? reminds it's, me of when I was a teenager. Cause when I was a teenager in the eighties, you know, Nancy Reagan, you know, they had this, this, this now there? famous campaign, just say no. Oh, just say no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like, like, you know, just like the, like seeing a commercial, if, if, if there was a teenage kid or something doing drugs and he sees Nancy Reagan and goes, that's going to make me stop doing drugs. You're absolutely yeah, right. right. This is bad. I should just say no. And now you think about it 40, you know, almost 40 years later. And I think to myself, maybe they should have done a little bit better job with that marketing campaign. I don't think that quite hit the mark, but yeah, probably the, for the impressionable younger minds. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. Having a 75 year old lady tell you not to do drugs. I mean, it's, yeah, that's, but man, I love where, where that is. I, I got to ask you this as we kind of bring this conversation to a close and man, this has been so good. Give me your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, whether it's somebody that 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 is getting a little bit off the beaten path. Maybe it's it's somebody that's listening to us that maybe is saying, I'm doing some things I probably shouldn't be doing right now. I'm dabbling in some things that that are drifting me off course. Or somebody that needs that encouragement to maybe they're thinking to themselves, man, I want to grow my income. I want to diversify. You we've covered a lot of ground. But do you have one piece of intentional encouragement that you'd share with with folks? I'm I'm thinking of a sentence. It's probably like a more of a trifecta. But uh, keep it simple, stay optimistic, and figure it out. Man, I love that. Please repeat that if you don't mind. I, I want to sure. give that some resonance. Keep it simple. Stay optimistic and figure it out. Man, I love that. Keep it simple. Stay optimistic. Figure it out. Man, that is so good. Joseph, tell folks where they can connect with you. You, 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 I love your tweets because I mean that you, you just, you, you kind of, you're just very stealth. You drop a little bit of knowledge. And then you, you kind of pull back, you drop a little bit of knowledge. It's kind of like the breadcrumbs, man. You drop a little breadcrumb here and then, and then, and I love that. Tell folks how they can, can connect with you and get, get connected to you. Yeah. The socials are fun. I'm on Twitter at Oliver flips and Instagram. Although I don't publish a ton of content, I am active on there. It's more visual and you can find me at Oliver's flip finds. Oliver's flip finds. On Instagram. Yeah, I'm not on Instagram either. It, it, it is an agreement that I have with my 21-year-old. Mm -hmm. He's on Instagram. He's like, nah, not for you, dad. So, <laughs> But find him at Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R Flips, F-L-I-P-S on Twitter. And Oliver's Flip Finds 
on Instagram. Joseph, man, this has been fun. I have so enjoyed this, man. And I appreciate you taking the time to join me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. It's been great to be here. I really appreciate you having me. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.